Well, there's really not one business of speaking. And this is the mistake a lot of people make before they get into it is they see someone who is famous and they think, oh, that's what it is to be a speaker. And really, I think it's like 10 different businesses. It depends on who you are, what you speak about, your style. And then it also depends on what you're trying to do with it. Are you trying to make your money from giving that speech? Or are you using speaking as a way to grow your position as a thought leader to be able to sell your your consulting, your coaching, your courses? Your inner voice has been drowned out by the noise around you, but you've always had a deep desire to make a difference. And now you're ready to step into your greatness and develop the identity you need to build towards your ultimate goal. Welcome to the Mindset Horizon Podcast, making the world a better place by unleashing human potential. We'll help you create your own reality by increasing your self-awareness, cultivating an unstoppable mindset, and finally finding the passion, purpose, and true self so that you can live the life you are always destined to live. Now, welcome your host, a lifelong learner and growth mindset savant, a former architect turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Tibor Nagy. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Mindset Horizon podcast. I'm super excited for you to listen to today's episode with my special guest, Tom Singer, where we talk about the ins and outs of the speaking business. Tom talks about the different models of the speaking business, how to become a world-class speaker, the most important skills to focus on and develop, and how podcasting can help you scale your business. But before I introduce today's guest, let me ask you this question. So are you seeking to make a change and have an even bigger impact as a coach, consultant, or thought leader in 2021? If you've answered this question with hell yeah, I would highly recommend you check out my podcast mastery course at mindsethorizon.com forward slash course. That's mindsethorizon.com forward slash course, where I'm teaching you step-by-step how to start your authority building podcast as a change maker so that you can scale your impact, influence, and income in 2021. For more information, simply go to mindsethorizon.com forward slash course, and you can find all the details there. Also, as I mentioned in episode 100, we are going to rebrand the Mindset Horizon podcast from March on, and there are going to be more topics on podcasting, marketing, marketing psychology, content marketing, digital marketing, influence, and so forth. So in the future, I will keep serving entrepreneurs, business owners, and thought leaders, build their authority and business online through content marketing and podcasting. So that is one of the reasons why we are shifting the focus of the show. All right, so my guest today is Tom Singer, who is an executive search professional and a keynote speaker. Known as the Conference Catalyst, he creates an atmosphere of fun and interaction that lasts beyond his presentation. Tom earned his certified speaking professional in 2014 and is committed to the business of meetings. He's the author of 12 books and is the host of the popular Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. On his show, he has interviewed over 600 executives, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others with a focus on discovering how the most successful people get farther across the gap between potential and results. At 50 years old, Tom decided to reinvent his life and make age 50 to 75 the best years of his life. This meant saying yes to things that scared him and trying new things out. Since that time, Tom has jumped off buildings, took up running, meditates 30 minutes every morning, and began performing stand-up comedy. If you want to find out more about today's guest, then check out the free resources, book recommendations, and detailed show notes. Simply head over to our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast. 
That's again, mightshorizon.com forward slash podcast. You can also use the search bar on our website where you can simply type in Tom Singer to find the episode's show notes page. And so without any further ado, please enjoy today's episode with the one and only Tom Singer. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Welcome. Hey, Tibor. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I'm super excited to have this conversation about different things. And uh, as I've mentioned before I hit the record button, I want to focus on aspiring thought leaders and, and uh, you know discuss some topics that are relevant to them. But first, I want to start with your journey in terms of you are known as the human connection catalyst also, and you're a keynote speaker, motivational speaker, author, also podcaster. So how did this journey unfold for you? Well, it started out that I was, uh, when I was working in the business world, I was in both uh, marketing and business development and sales roles. And when you're in those types of, of jobs, you end up going to a lot of conferences. So I found myself going to a lot of business events, sitting in the audience, watching speakers. And sometimes they would be famous speakers, uh, famous politicians or sports figures, but other times they were just business people who were really interesting. And I would watch them and I would think to myself, oh my gosh, their job is better than mine. How do you get to do that? So I started studying the business, I don't mm. know, about 15 or 18 years ago of speaking. And I had always liked to be, you know, up in front and make presentations, but I, I wasn't necessarily any good at it. So I found a way to uh, do more and more of it. And eventually over time, people started saying, wow, that was really good. You know, could you come and talk to my sales team? And so that one thing led to another and it became my career 11 years ago, my full-time career. And that's all I've ever done since. Thank you so much for sharing. It's really interesting and also inspiring because uh, I think many people can relate to this or interested in being a better communicator or speaker. One of the reasons I started the podcast was I wanted to practice uh, English. I wanted to practice communication. You've mentioned something that you kind of like started analyzing the business of speaking. So I'm, I'm interested. Could you share some of the most important aspects that we should know about the business of speaking nowadays? Well, there's really not one business of speaking, and this is the mistake a lot of people make before they get into mm -hmm. it, is they see someone who is famous and they think, oh, that's what it is to be a speaker. And really, I think it's like 10 different businesses. It depends on who you are, what you speak about, your style, and then it also depends on what you're trying to do with it. Are you trying to make your money from giving that speech, or are you using speaking as a way to grow your position as a thought leader to be able to sell your, your consulting, your coaching, your courses, etc. And so there's a lot of different businesses of speaking. And what I did is I just started studying it and started looking at who was I like, what type of topics was I an expert on, what, what, what inspired me. And what I found is I fit into what I called the traditional speaker model. So I speak for associations and companies and I do training and they give me a check. And so that's uh, the, the lane that I was in. There's kind of a saying in the speaker business that you have to pick a lane because you can't do all of these things. You can't be a speaker, an author, a coach, a this, a that, a speaker who speaks for money, a speaker who sells back of the room. Uh, you have to pick a lane and get into it. And so for me, um, I studied what I wanted to do, where I wanted to fall into the business. And then the other thing is there's two pieces of it. There is the, are you good 
on stage. And that takes practice and you have to learn how to craft the ability to use the spoken word in a way that people will pay you for it. And so that's the first part is your speaking skill has to be really good if you want to get a check for giving that talk. And then the other side is you have to develop content that is really strong and actionable because you have to be giving someone something that they can go and and do, or there's no reason for them to be listening to you. So there's lots of little aspects. Once you've picked your lane, there's still a lot of little nuances you have to do to be successful in that lane. Wow, that's really interesting because I, I I've never gone so deep to be honest <laughs> into this topic. <laughs> well, well, actually, to be honest, most people don't. Most people see speakers and they think, "Well, I could do that," or they've given a few speeches and afterwards, people come up to them and say, "Oh, great speech!" And so they think they're a great speaker. One of the early lessons I got is that there's no way that you know if you're good on stage or if your content is actionable just because someone comes up to you afterwards and says, great speech. Uh, I had a mentor in the business who said to me, what do you want someone to say after you finish, either the audience member or the, or the meeting planner who hired you? What do you want them to say to you when you finish a presentation? And my answer was, I want them to say it was great, that it was moving. And he said, no, you don't. And I said, yeah, I have an ego. I do. I want people to say great speech. And he said, the problem with this business is everyone thinks they're great because they always hear from audience members, great speech, because we live in polite societies. Really, there's nowhere in the world I've ever seen where after a speech, audience members go up to the speaker if he was only mediocre and say, wow, that kind of sucked or you were highly mediocre today. <laughs> so what, what, the, what the mentor told me was, Imagine that you're at a conference and the speaker is okay, not great by any means. And now you're at the cocktail party and you're standing near the speaker and you look around and no one else is there. What do you say to her or what do you say to him? And the answer is you say, great speech, because what else are you going to say? And one time I, I told that story and a woman said, oh, I'm brutally honest. I would never say great speech unless they were great. And I said, well, wh what would you say? And she said, I would look at them and say, I love that part of your speech where you talked about your sister. She goes, I would find that one little thing. And I laughed and I said, do you know what the speaker just heard? They heard great speech. So yeah. the, I, I asked my mentor, I said, so how do you know if you're any good? And he said, the only way you know if you're good is if after your speech, people in the audience come up to you and ask you some derivative of the phrase, what else can you do for me? If they come up and say, would that speech work for lawyers or for accountants, or could you come and speak it at my school? That means what else can you do? Could I get you to come speak somewhere else? Or can I buy your book? Or do you have a podcast I could listen to? Or even if they say, can I buy you a cup of coffee to pick your brain? You would never go up to a speaker who was mediocre and ask them for more of them. So that's mm -hmm. how you know you're doing a good job is when people want to buy something or talk to you or just be around you because we don't do that with mediocre speakers. Wow, that's really amazing. So basically, really, if people want more, that means that you're a good speaker, right? That's, that's kind of like the key takeaway. Yeah, that's the only way you know if you're actually good is if people try to hire you for something else. That's pretty interesting because actually that would have been one of my questions. So how does someone know if they're a good speaker? And then also I was thinking about the skill set. So I'm just curious, you know, based on your experience in the speaking world, 
What are some of the things that you focused on in order to become a great speaker? Well, for me, it really came down to storytelling because there's a lot of great content out there and there's a lot of people who are smarter than I am. There's a lot of researchers, there's many PhDs, there's just there's just lots of ways to be able to say, you know, wow, that is uh, you know, that's that's good content or whatever. But for me, the real answer came down to can you weave a story where people will be captivated and they'll lean in and they want more. So I have worked really hard over the past 10 or 15 years to really learn how to tell a story that is going to get someone's attention. Well, the the reason why I I, <laughs> I really like the storytelling part is uh, actually I launched my new podcast. So I've been, I've been hosting this podcast for uh, a little bit more than a year now. And uh, I launched the podcast interview mastery, my other podcast, to help podcasters hone your craft as first hosts and as interviewers. And storytelling can be part of it. Maybe it's more related to solo podcasts when someone is telling a story or a story-based, storyline-based podcast or something. But I think storytelling is, is, is really needed in order to captivate people, as you said. And actually, I use this very word in my introduction, if you want to captivate your listeners uh, you want to listen to this podcast. And um, I wanted to kind of unpack this storytelling a little bit in terms of you're also a podcaster. And so how do you, you know, develop your story storytelling skills and how do you how did you incorporate this in speaking and maybe also podcasting? Well, the one thing for podcasting that is super important is those interview skills. It's being able to help other people tell their mm. story. So one of the mistakes that a lot of podcasters make is they have just a set list of questions and they don't ever go off of those questions. So they'll ask a question, the person will give half an answer and they'll move on to the next the next question. And yeah. I hear that in a lot of podcasts and the, I think the best podcasters are yeah, they have an idea of where the show is going to go. They have a a uh, a list of questions, but they can throw them out. So if they ask a question and someone says something, they just go deeper off of that. And so what you're doing as a podcaster, while it may not be your story, you're actually investing in drawing the other person's story out because many of the people who you will interview, if you have an interview style podcast, many of them are not seasoned orators. So you have to push them a little bit in a very polite and guided way. And so it, you're still a storyteller. It's just not your story. When you're podcast host and you're doing interviews, you need to draw the other person through the journey of their story to make sure that they're sharing it all in a way that's going to captivate that audience. I love that. You are welcome to come on the podcast interview mastery show. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. I'll do it whenever you want. <laughs> Actually, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really great topic, but I wanted to ask you about this because you've mentioned you know, paid speaking. And the other was the second um, example is when you have a you're a, a thought leader and you want to sell something, and you've mentioned that you got into the traditional speaking model, so to speak. And so I was wondering if the the paid version, this paid speaking, is kind of like the traditional model that you got into. Is that the model that you kind of like followed? Yeah, for me, 
I get hired by corporations and associations to come in and either be their their keynote speaker uh, to do a series of breakout sessions and training, or I have a niche where I'm a master of ceremonies for like a multi-day conference, and I bring sort of sort of some humor and some fun and some continuity through the whole three days um, as sort of the host of the event. But I do that, and they give me a check. In many cases, I'm not allowed to sell anything. It's part of the contract. They're paying me a big sum of money. Uh, a lot of these corporate conferences don't like speakers who are like, rush to the back of the room and I have a special offer for you. It's it's not the model of uh, the clients that I work with. So for me, even though I do some one-on-one coaching, I do some presentation skills coaching, uh, I do business development training for uh, coaching for lawyers mainly, but sometimes for other people. But if I'm speaking at a legal conference and they're paying me, it's part of my contract that I can't really say I sell this. I can mention I do it, but I can't have like an offer. Now, there's a whole other type of conference where the speakers speak for free, but they have a big offer that they they give the live audience. And there's people at the back of the room who will take their credit card. And neither of these is better or worse. And sometimes the free speaker is making more money off of what they're selling in the back of the room than I would mm-hmm. get from the check that I'm giving. It's just a different model. You can't expect a speak where you would speak to make an offer conference to pay you. In fact, in many times, uh, many of those types of conferences, the speaker pays the organizer to have that hour or 90 minutes on stage because they know the audience will go to the back of the room and buy. So they don't get paid for being there. In some cases, they actually pay the event to be able to speak. But where I work, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's what I call the traditional speaker model. And that is it's organizations that are paying me to be there. And and those organizations have rules about selling to their people. So I have to abide by whatever that organization's policy is. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. So if you have something to sell, products, maybe information products, physical products, uh, then the second model, maybe it's more appealing. I don't know if it's more appealing. It's just different. It's really just a different business model. And I always tell people neither one is better or worse. And like I said, there are many people in the speak to sell model who make more money than I ever will doing what I'm doing. That being said, you can't mix them. The meeting planners who are hiring for one or the other aren't looking for the opposite of that. So uh, the people who are doing conferences where the idea is you're going to sell to the audience, the organizer is getting a cut of that. They want people who are experienced at selling their coaching, their courses, you know, whatever it is, their consulting packages. So they need people who are trained on how to do that to be the people on their stage. The type of audiences I work for, uh, they don't want their audience being sold to. They want it to be all information given. They want all the information to be in the speech. And so Mm. uh, it's not that one is a better business model. They're just very different. And it depends on what type of conference you have. And, And then there's other models too. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of CEOs and other executives who speak a lot and never get paid. They're not selling anything. It's just part of the way they build the PR around their business, the way they position themselves and their company as an expert. And again, it doesn't make it better or worse. It's just a different model. Wow, it's really interesting. Uh, Really, really interesting. And you've also mentioned something, information-based speech. And I was thinking, because I don't know how you look at this, but I've heard someone say, you know, there is a content speech and a motivational speech. Uh, speech, sorry, and then uh, inspirational and transformational and different kind of speeches. And um, 
maybe if you choose a different model, maybe you want to present your topics differently. And you mentioned a question actually in the beginning that was really great. So what do you want them to say, right? And one question came to my mind is what do you want them to to feel kind of like afterwards? You want people to feel all of those things that you mentioned. You want them to be motivated. You want them to be inspired. You want to give them content and, 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 and education in there. But it's really interesting. I have a little bit different take than a lot of people. Uh, you mentioned you know, there's a motivational speech or an inspirational speech or a content speech, and, and you said one other. I wasn't writing them down. But my take is a little different than a lot of people. A lot of people will say, oh, I'm a content speaker. I translate that to, that means I'm not a great speaker, but I have really good content. Or I'm a motivational speaker. Uh, I take that to mean, well, I'm really great on stage, but my content isn't so great. I don't think you want one of those four things that you mentioned. I think every speech needs to have all of them. There's no reason Mm. you shouldn't be a content speaker who is both motivational and inspirational. In fact, you should be, or you shouldn't be agreeing to speak. You you have to have great content. But I think all speakers, the, the, the term motivational speaker in the United States anyway, has gotten a bad rap over the last 20 years. There was a skit on Saturday Night Live, the TV show, uh, where Chris Farley played a motivational speaker who was just this big fraud. And he lived in a van down by the river was the famous line. Like he didn't really make any money. He just called himself a motivational speaker. But all he did was yell at the audience. And it was a funny skit, but it led people in their mind to believe that motivational speakers were somehow fake or fraudulent or whatever. But here's my question. If you, if you, Tibor, were going to go to a, to a conference and they had a speaker, would you want that speaker to be motivational? Yeah, I crave it. <laughs> yeah, but but there are people who say, "Oh, I hate motivation motivational speeches." And I'm like, "Well, so you want the opposite?" And they go, "Yes." And then I ask, "What is the opposite of the word motivational?" Demotivation. <laughs> That's the, the number one word that comes up is demotivation, depressing, unmotivated. Uh, one person told me one time, "Sucks the energy out of the room." So who in the world would say, "I'm going to hire a speaker who's really mm. smart"? but they suck the energy out of the room. Nobody would do yeah. that. So every speech should be a motivational speech because if you don't have a call to action of some sort, why in the world am I listening to you for an hour? So I don't think it's a competition between these different types of speeches. A great speech has content. It has stories. It has inspiration. It has motivation. It has energy. It has uh, things that challenge you, that make you think. A great speech has all of them. I love it. I, I, I absolutely love it. And I was thinking about the third model, which should be avoided, I think, which is the free model. I, I kind of like wanted to ask you about this because I don't know, because I, I haven't been a speaker myself, but I kind of like want to grab your mind in terms of the US and thinking about the people who want to start a speaking career. I'm wondering if they should start for free. Is is that a good way to start a speaking career? Like, you know, just going to uh, different events or conferences and speaking for free, or you wouldn't recommend that? So there's there's a lot of discussion about this in the speaker world, especially after COVID hit. And a lot of people had to drop their fees. A lot of people are doing free things for clients just to be kind and to stay in front of them. And there's people who are like, no, you're undercutting the business. No, never do that. Never drop your fee. Uh, you know, you have to always sell to your fee. And even some of the most expensive, most seasoned people in my industry, they say, never discount your fee. And then I talk to a meeting planner who tells me how much they hired that same person for. 
and it's less than their fee. So there's people who say never discount your fee until, and their, their, their fee is high, like $25,000. And then they take 15, but they secretly take 15. They never tell people they took 15. So, oh, wow. so here's the thing. If you want to start in this business, I have a question. Why would anyone hire you if they've never seen you do a speech or if there's no video of you or if there's no reputation? What is up, Mindset Nation? I hope you guys are enjoying today's episode and we're going to get back to this conversation very soon after thanking to our sponsors. Hey, my friend, I'm super excited to announce that my podcast mastery course is now available. You can check out the course at mindsethorizon.com forward slash course. As a mission and impact-driven entrepreneur, thought leader, visionary, and changemaker, have you ever thought of increasing your online visibility, building credibility, and scaling your impact and business by starting your own podcast? If you've answered this question with hell yeah, and you're ready to start your authority-building podcast and take your impact, influence, and income to the next level, I would highly recommend checking out my Podcast Mastery online course, at mindsethorizon.com forward slash course. That's mindsethorizon.com forward slash course. In this course, I'm teaching you step-by-step how to start your own epic podcast from scratch. There are four in-depth modules available in this course and additional bonus materials. So in module one called Podcast Foundations Mastery, you will learn about the foundations that are indispensable to launch a successful podcast, In module two, called Podcast Tech Mastery, you will learn about the technical side of podcasting. In module three, called Podcast Creation Mastery, you will learn about everything that you need to create in order to be able to launch your podcast. In module four, called Podcast Launch Mastery, you will learn how to launch your podcast the right way. And last but not least, in the bonus section, you will find additional checklists, email templates, workflow templates, and sample documents that will help you design and launch your podcast like a pro. You can check out the course details at mindsethorizon.com forward slash course. That's mindsethorizon.com forward slash course. The world is waiting to hear your message, my friend. So let's stop hiding in plain sight and start sharing your truth. Check out the course at mindsethorizon.com forward slash course right now. So Mindset Nation, without any further ado, let's get back to today's mindset transforming conversation. So these people who say, oh, never start for free. I had I heard someone tell a woman because she had a little bit of fame. Now, another another lane that you can pick is you can be a celebrity. There are celebrity mm-hmm. speakers. I don't compete with a celebrity speaker. If someone's famous, they're not my competition because I'm not famous. Celebrities charge $25,000, $100,000 to give an hour speech. I can't, wow. I can't do that. But if you're not famous, then the advice to start at like a five or $10,000 fee is kind of ridiculous because there's no way anyone knows if you're any good and therefore there's no way they can do it. I get all of my work through word of mouth. So even after doing this for 11 years, I on occasion will discount my fee or waive my fee for the certain type of nonprofit because I want exposure to that audience. Now, sometimes meeting planners call and say, oh, we don't pay speakers, but it's great exposure. Well, the thing to remember is people can die from exposure. So you don't say yes to everything. However, if you're new and you're not speaking a lot, then how is anyone ever going to know that you're doing it? So the advice I got, and granted, this was 15 years ago, was say yes to every speaking gig 
you can't until until your calendar is full with paid speeches and you know you want to speak so my my goal every year is i want to speak 50 times a year and if i when i was new and i didn't have 50 paid gigs that mean i had to do however many free gigs so i have a mm-hmm. policy though and this is the policy number 1 i will never speak for an organization for free or for a discount like a heavy discount who has paid someone else in the last 2 years so some local groups like a rotary club or something like that they have a speaker every week but they don't have any money for it they don't pay anybody so okay you've never paid a speaker in the last 2 years we can talk doesn't mean i'll do it but you know it's if they've paid someone else i expect to be paid this is how i make my living the other thing is if they want me and they want me at a heavy discount I have the right to cancel on them up to one month before the event. Now, this turns most groups off and they say, oh, no, well, we can't do that because we're going to promote it. Well, great. You want me to speak for you for free, but I make my living doing this. And the only thing I have to sell is days on my calendar. So you want me to give you a date and turn down what could be a huge issue you know, in the next year because some people book a year in advance. So I won't do it unless they give me that right to cancel. And most of them say... Oh, well, we, we won't give you a right to cancel. And I say, great, I'm not your speaker. In 10 years of doing that, I've only had to cancel on one group. I don't do a lot of free speeches, but if you're new, I would say, go get experience. My, I read this once before I started, and that is you're never going to be great as a presenter until you've given 300 professional level speeches. Now, there's exceptions to that. There's people who are naturally good at it, but for the most part, till you've given 300 you're not going to be able to handle everything that comes your way. So you might as well go speak for free until you get to that 300. People are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, he's wrong. Well, yeah, for some people I am wrong. There are other ways to do it. But the way I did it is I spoke a lot. And all of a sudden I got good enough where people started offering to pay me to do it. So uh, my belief is you, you you have to speak to get good and no one's going to pay you a livable fee until you're good. So it's a catch 22. And so therefore I would say I'm all for, especially newer speakers, but, but really anybody speaking for free. It's, it's, it's a word of mouth game. Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more in terms of, you know, you have to put in the reps really just practice, right? So practice a speech and something like that. So you, you, you've got to practice that. And I was wondering about ways Maybe you can share some of the ways you practice. Now I think about Toastmasters, for example. I don't, I don't know if it's a, uh, if you would recommend that, or maybe some other opportunities to, you know, speak and practice. Yeah. So this is another area where a lot of speaker coaches and and like professional speakers who like to to have you know opinions, uh, and I disagree. I a lot of them are like, oh no, Toastmasters is not the way to go. I got to tell you, you're not going to find a bigger proponent for Toastmasters on the planet than me. I never <laughs> really I never would have had the opportunity, the honor to be in this career if I hadn't 28 years ago when I was 25 joined a Toastmasters club and I went every week for like 10 years. I mean, I got involved and I stayed involved. Um and that's how I went from not being able to do it. And I wasn't looking to be a professional speaker. I just wanted to be really good at it when my boss would call on me in a meeting. I just wanted to have the ability to think on my feet and not be nervous in front of people. And it takes time. Like I said, I I think as a professional speaker, you have to give 300 speeches before you're good. I I think as just a person who has to occasionally speak for work, you have to be 
fine tuning it all the time. And so Toastmasters is an amazing organization. It was founded almost 100 years ago because people were not good at speaking in a business setting and they were not they were nervous about it. They were it's the biggest fear. Well, guess what? 100 years later, people still aren't that good at it and they still have a fear of it. So Toastmasters helps you get over the fear. They teach you the basic rules of how to give a speech. And then here's the trick. After you've learned the rules, throw the rules out. And the example that I use is Picasso. We all know Picasso as this painter who broke all the rules. He painted three eyes and six ears and two heads. But here's the thing. Picasso was a celebrated artist. When you go to the Picasso Museum in Malaga, Spain, and you go into this house that's been converted into a museum, the first room you go into has pictures of landscapes and tabletops and people. They look like photographs. He was that good of a painter. That at first glance, you don't know it's a painting. He was that <laughs> wow. great of an artist in the realistic setting. And then he took all the rules of art and threw them out and did his own thing. That's what you have to do. Learn the rules and Toastmasters will teach you the rules of public speaking. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then you can be creative with those rules or, you know, just uh, forget them. That's, that's a really great point. I rejoined a Toastmasters club during COVID. It's all online now. But oh, really? I rejoined even as a professional speaker because it gives me the opportunity to play with ideas because being on camera as a speaker is not totally new to me. I've been doing it for years, but you know, I wasn't doing 40 and 50 events a year sitting in my office by myself looking into a camera. So I reached the Toastmasters Club so I could try things. Did you guys practice uh, some video presentation skills, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm doing. That's what all Toastmasters clubs have gone virtual now. So it's all, it's all camera ready. But I mean, I've practiced video for years because I knew there would be more chance to do video. I didn't realize that all my speaking gigs would be video. And, and just for the listeners to know if they, if they are not familiar with Toastmaster, but I, I think the, the ones who are thinking about speaking, uh, they are already are. But what I wanted to ask is, as far as I know, I attended some Toastmasters events in Austria when I was living there. And uh, they organized some speaking events actually for participants where they could practice speaking. Is it similar in the U.S.? Yeah. Every, every week you go to, I mean, this is pre-COVID, you would go in person to a restaurant or something, private room, and, and people would be assigned. Three people would be assigned to speak. Three people would be assigned to evaluate and give tips on how to be better. Uh, then they do a thing called table topics, which is the best part of Toastmasters because you're sitting there in the audience and they say, without any notice, Tibor, why don't you tell us your opinions of what's going on in America right now? And from the time they call your name until you get to the front of the room to come up with a three-minute speech. That skill over many years of participating in a Toastmasters club, that skill makes people better at their job because they learn to think on their feet and they learn to speak extemporaneously, which is something most of us never learn to do in school. So yeah, I think Toastmasters, if you're not an accomplished seasoned presenter before you try to become a professional, it's going to be a hard road because people who are writing checks to speakers, they have an expectation that, that you're going to be good. So you can't go get good while getting paid. You have to be good before you get paid. That's a great point. And, you know, communication in general, for example, if someone is not really interested in becoming a professional speaker, but just learning more about how to communicate effectively, that's going to serve you either if you're an entrepreneur or 
you know, in the workplace or, or wherever. Absolutely. It's kind of like a, one of the great skills, I think, that you can focus on throughout your life. And you've mentioned something that we didn't really learn that, right? And and it's true because where are the communication lessons in the school? I mean, maybe it's different in the U.S. <laughs> we didn't have that no, class. We're not. In the United States, we're no better at it. I mean, everybody has to take like a speech class their first year of college and maybe in high school. But other than that, it's not really treated well. It's not taught by anybody who knows what they're doing. They just some English teacher teaches speech 101. And so I think that, you know, learning to do it. So I'm, I mentor some younger people not necessarily who want to become speakers, but just who want to excel, you know, in their career. And I do some coaching for lawyers who want to grow their, their business. And the number one thing I make them do is join a Toastmasters club. And I tell them, if you go every week for a year, you will be so much better at the end of a year, but you have to participate. You can't just say, well, I'm not on the schedule. I'm not going to go. You have to go every single week. But if you do it, Every week for a year, you will be so much better the next time your boss calls on you to give your opinion that you'll be the person who gets the promotion. People thought when before I was a speaker, but when I worked in corporate America, people thought I was smarter than I was. They thought I had gone to a fancier college than I did. They thought I had you know, an advanced business degree. And it was just because of the way I spoke. It was just from having the ability to talk to people and get them to lean in suddenly people thought I was smarter than I am. I'm, I'm not really that smart. That's really interesting. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, speaking of speaking and uh, podcasting, I wanted to kind of like ask you about uh, podcasting in the sense that my experience with podcasting is it really helped me find the topics that I'm passionate about. So, you know, after podcasting, I think I have a bigger clarity on um, what topics I would like to talk about if I became a speaker. I'm curious about your experience with podcasting and how did it, for example, help your speaking career? Maybe some key takeaways if someone is thinking about podcasting as well. I got into podcasting not early, but six years ago before it became super popular. Now, everybody who breathes air seems to have a podcast. <laughs> but six years ago, I was, I was one of, not the, but I was of my peers of speakers. I was one of the first one of my friends to have a podcast. And a lot of people are like, why are you doing that? It's just it's something that takes up time. It takes you off, off point. Number one, I, I didn't think it through. So my podcast was not tied directly to my speaking business. I probably should have connected it better. But the podcast mm -hmm. was originally called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And the reason I did it is I wanted access to people who were growing businesses to learn mm. from them. So the podcast was my way to get to call up an entrepreneur and say, can I have a half hour of your time and ask you questions about growth? So it was like my own personal university that I shared with the world. The other side of it was, it's the best networking tool I've ever had. You live in Hungary and we're having this great conversation. I kind of like you. I hope we keep in touch. Well, <laughs> thank it's you. Because of, it's because of the podcast. And so- yeah. The podcast for me is one of the greatest networking tools I have actually through people I've interviewed and other podcasters who I've met. I've made some great friendships, like real honest to goodness, you know, visit them when I'm in their town, uh, maybe stay at their house type friendships with people I met because they either we met at a podcaster conference or I interviewed them on my show. So 
I teach networking skills and I tell people the podcast for six years has been a great way for me to open up doors. It's also a great way for me to reward cool people who I meet because one of the things you have to do is do things for people. If, if, if everything you do is just to benefit yourself, eventually you're going to go off the cliff. You have to have networking and building relationships is a two-way street. Well, there's a lot of people who are smarter, richer, you know, more successful than me. There's not a lot I can give them but I can give them my platform. My podcast is fairly well listened to. And I can, if they're, you know, if they're interested, I can interview them. And some people, they like that. So it's like, I meet someone interesting. I'm like, would you like to do this? If they say yes, I make it happen. Now our friendship has grown farther and I've given them something of, of value to them, hopefully. So the podcast is a great tool for that. Now, this year, I changed the name of the podcast to Making Waves at Sea Level, as in like CEO, CFO, CIO. And the reason for that is I've gone to work, in addition to my speaking career, I've gone to work for an executive search firm, uh, companies that help high-end organizations find their next CEO, CFO, you know, senior vice presidents, et cetera. And entrepreneurs aren't my focus for that. Big companies are my focus um, mm -hmm. or, or larger medium-sized companies and up. And so I changed the name of the podcast and a little bit of the focus of it to making waves at sea level so that I could have my different areas of my life, my speaking business, the executive search world, and my podcast, there could be some continuity through it. So, you know, it's, it's important, I think, that you start with knowing what the end game is. I didn't start that way, but I've figured it out along the way and I get a lot like 15%, maybe 20% of my income in 2018 and 19 came directly and indirectly from the podcast. So I interview wow. a CEO, he hires me to speak at his team meeting, or I, uh, uh, I speak, I, I talk about what I do for a living on my podcast. Somebody listens to it. They're in sales. Their boss says to the sales team, does anybody, has anybody seen a good speaker that we could have come speak at our meeting? And he says to his boss, oh, I listened to this podcast, gives him my podcast. The sales manager listens to a few episodes and calls me, says, can you customize this up, you know, for a group in this manufacturing company? Well, yes, I can. And so I get leads from the podcast. So it's a great networking tool. It's a great lead generator. I, I just can't say enough for if you're, if you're a thought leader, a speaker, an author, a consultant, a coach, having a podcast is an amazing way to be able to, to use this medium to reach new people. Wow, I couldn't agree more and, and, and so great to hear. I know many of those things. I mean, in terms of, for example, in the beginning, I, I wasn't aware. So when I started my podcast, the things that I was aware was, for example, I wanted to learn, I wanted to connect. Those were some of my desires in terms of kind of like I wanted to expand uh, my network, because I felt like a little bit isolated, uh, especially when it comes to content creation. So I was thinking about different ways of content creation, videos, written content, audio, and also when it comes to audio, is it a solo podcast, interview show? So I chose the interview format because I was inspired by this networking aspect. And that's a really great point because a lot of times when I talk about podcast monetization, one thing that you've mentioned is that some of your guests can become partners or you can work together. They can hire you for speaking. Your audience is something that you can monetize or you can also leverage your guests and, and make connections and collaborate, work together, whatever it is. So 
it's, it's there are so many benefits. This is what I wanted to say after I started and I started realizing as I went deeper and deeper. And now I've been podcasting not so long ago, 14 months or 15 months, and I had a little preparation before that. But I think it's it's one of the best things that you can do in terms of really what you've said. And I just want to um, summarize this a little bit, expanding your network and, and generating more leads and you know potential partners for your business, maybe affiliates or, or whatever it is, you can use it and really utilize this platform. And, and as a speaker, another thing I do, I'm going to give away a little secret. This is, I don't tell people this, and now everyone in the world is going to know because I'm going to give it to you. When I speak at a trade show, I make an arrangement with the person who hires me and I go around and I interview the key people in their organization and their vendors. And I do little short interviews about their industry. And then I stitch them together and I make a special podcast of uh, the toy industry or whatever industry I'm talking in. And I do like 10, 10 three minute interviews to get my half hour show. And I stitch them together as one podcast. And now the client has something that's really worthwhile to send out to everybody. So I use my podcast as a tool for my clients that also brings really interesting information to my audience. So if you have a podcast, interview your clients and the client wins and they're more apt to hire you back. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And as I think, I think as, 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 um, as you as a podcaster, as someone as a podcaster, you know, is podcasting for a longer time, they figure out different <laughs> benefits and how they can, you know, just combine these different things, which is really interesting to, to hear and learn more about this. I appreciate you, you know, sharing all these things about the speaking industry. There is no the speaking industry, so we talked about that. No, but, but I, also pot- I will say if somebody wants to be a speaker, the best thing I ever did was I joined the National Speakers Association. Now, that's the United States version. Uh, most large countries, I think there's like 30 versions of it around the world. Uh, but I joined the National Speakers Association so that I could get around people who were speakers. So. The tip I give everybody, the question I ask everybody who says, I I think I want to either be a full-time speaker or I want to use speaking to promote my coaching business, but I want to do a lot of speaking. I say, how many professional speaker friends do you have? And sometimes I'm having coffee with these people and they look at me and they go, well, just you. And I'm like, we're not friends. You called me and said, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I'm talking about friends like you go to their house for dinner. How many Mm. speaker friends do you have? And people say, well, zero. And I'm like, go make some friends in the business because the only way you're going to learn how the speaking business works, and like I said, there's like 10 different versions of the speaking business, is you have to get around somebody who has picked a lane and lives in it. Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing all these great insights. And I want to be respectful of your time. And as we are coming closer to the end of the episode, I wanted to ask you about book recommendations. Maybe you have some tips for the listener, uh, listeners, what they can check out, maybe speaking or other personal development or business books. And you, you've also written 12 books, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I've, I've written 12. Most of them I think are out of print because I haven't written a new one in like four years, but some of them, some of them are still out there on Amazon and, and, and others. But, uh, the big thing is the, the, I always go old school when I'm asked this question, when people say, What's the book that that you would recommend? And I think it still holds up today. And that is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Covey. It was written 30 years ago, I think. Yeah, that's about right. And 
I will tell you, that was the book that changed my life. It got me out of the rut to where I thought I was stuck and I had to rely on other people and people who got, got successful were lucky or they had the best degree or they had whatever. That was the book that taught me if I wanted to be a successful, highly successful person, I had to take control of it. Mm, sharp end of saw, right? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every single day, guys. So, um, Tom, before I ask my last question, tell the listeners what's the best way to connect with you and where they can uh, learn more about you. Yeah, uh, my website is kind of the hub of everything I do. You can you can find uh, my main podcast there. Uh, you can find information about my speaking and my books and all that stuff. And it's just Tom Singer, T-H-O-M, as in Thomas without the ass, just T-H-O-M, Singer, S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Thank you so much for sharing. And the links are going to be in the show notes and available on our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast. So people can check out the links and book recommendations and detailed show notes there. And my last question is, what is your mission and future vision? Or more importantly, you know, what are you up to in the future? So when I turned 50 years old, I made a pledge to myself that I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And that was four years ago. And I adopted a whole new mantra, and that was try new things. Uh, I found out some things about myself while I had been successful in my business career and my speaking career. I tended to only do things that I knew I would be good at. I wasn't one who took a lot of risks. I didn't try a lot of new things. I kind of liked my comfort zone, and I just started changing. Now, I can't say I changed overnight. I can't say I'm done changing, but I have made this pledge to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life, and it's working. And so part of what I'm up to next is I'm helping other people realize that you can reinvent yourself in your 50s and live that 25-year period with amazing success and fun and joy. And people always push back on me and they go, well, Tom, your dad lived to be 99 years old. In fact, today that we're recording this would be my dad's 106th birthday uh, he wow. six years ago, but he lived to be 99. And the interesting thing was, is people say, what about 75 to 100? And my answer is, I will cross that bridge when I get to it. I have 21 more years of living 50 to 75. And I had a pretty good life from one to 50. So that's a big challenge to say this is going to be better, but I have really fixated on the fact that I get to make the choices of how great it's going to be and COVID can't derail me. The, the live meetings business and speaking coming to a halt can't stop me from having the best years of my life. So that's, that's what I'm doing now. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I wish you good luck with it and uh, with your aspirations and thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Mindset Horizon podcast. For more information and resources based on today's discussion, be sure to head to our website, MindsetHorizon.com, where you'll also have the ability to join the Mindset Nation community for more insight and empowerment to help you reach your full potential. That's all available exclusively on MindsetHorizon.com.